It's time to watch a movie you've never seen. There might be some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There will be smiles and there will be tears. You won't watch another movie for about 800 years. It's time for death. So I guess welcome back to Best of the Best Video Store. I'm uh, I'm Graham. I'm Phil. I'm Kit. And uh, we are still here in 1993. These guys have not left my store. They are starting to smell quite bad. Um, I have offered to take them to the Woolco to get them some new clothes. Yeah, I pulled out the Woolco reference kit. Nice. I did my research. Walmart doesn't arrive for another two years. Um, <laughs> Um, love is, cool. is Byway uh, oh I love Byway going out there to yeah, get me yeah. some, uh, some uh, X-Men the animated series action figures soon you should just take us to the local Zellers yeah. uh, Zellers is a bit too pricey I still prefer yeah. uh, but you know what the, the quality of Ulcol is better Zellers the lowest price is the law I know but that's not but this is Ontario it's only the law in Quebec and Alberta right now <laughs> And we've just lost all of our non-Canadian listeners. <laughs> you know, there still is a Zeller store in. Um, it's it's in, in Etobicoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird because I drive. But, um, it's not really a Zeller store. Really it's Zeller's like an outlet for Zeller's facade. Yeah. Yeah, it's a Zeller's facade, but they still call it Zeller's, and they still wear Zeller's uniforms, and it just brings a tear to my eye, which I wouldn't know about because this is 1993, and I'm not the Graham you know or speak of. Yes, your your uh, video store, 1993 Graham. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so the movie we're going to watch this week is, um, Gone with the Pope, the unfinished Duke Mitchell, uh, I wouldn't say classic cause it, it, uh, was shot in the mid seventies and was only released in about 2009. And even then it was only on 35 millimeter film print and it was only about three, two to three years ago that it was released on Blu-ray and DVD, which is fa- fascinating cause Blu-rays, I don't know what they are. They're little round CD things with movies on them that look really good that you guys have been telling me about that apparently Future Me really likes and yells at people to watch instead of watching Netflix, whatever that is. Um, but And you know that this movie was released in 2009, which is... Uh... Again, this is all coming from you guys, not me. I don't know. Yeah, you're, you're obviously big Duke Mitchell fans. Um, we are. Yeah. So um, does anybody know who Duke Mitchell is? No. Yeah, Kit, if you're going to shake your head, this is an audio medium. You have to say no. You can't just shake your head at me. I knew that Phil would back me up. Thanks, Kit. I feel like I'm like, this is, we're forming a wall between the three of us here <laughs> with me on one side and you guys on the other. Uh, I am the world's worst ventriloquist. <laughs> um, so, anyways, Duke Mitchell, I got to stop saying so, anyways. It's like my bad segue. Um, Duke Mitchell was a crooner and a peer of Frank Sinatra, and he actually formed a quite successful comedy duo uh, with a performer whose name escapes me right now, but I will look it up, that were that was essentially just a Martin and Lewis, a Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis knockoff, because Duke Mitchell does kind of look like a, uh, a bit of a worn-out Dean Martin. Um, 
yeah, his partner. Dean Martin looks like a worn out <laughs> Dean Martin. <laughs> Dean Martin is dead, Kit. Um, I don't know if he's dead in 1993. But yeah, Sammy uh, Petrillo was uh, the Lewis to his Martin. And they actually got so good that uh, Jerry Lewis launched a lawsuit against them to sue them to stop uh, performing. But they had already signed a deal with Paramount Pictures to actually star in a Martin and Lewis-style com- comedic film. Um, and then the producer actually got very happy because he thought that maybe Paramount would just pay them off to go away and not make the film. But then Lewis dropped the lawsuit, so they actually had to go through with it. That film was called... Anybody? I told um, you this five Bella minutes before Lugosi we started... Bela Lugosi versus the Gorillas? <laughs> Bela Lugosi versus the Gorillas. That sounds awesome, but no. <laughs> it's uh, it's Bela Lugosi meets a Brooklyn Gorilla. Okay. Yeah. In which um, uh, our Martin and Lewis knockoffs, uh, Pert Torillo and uh, and uh, Mitchell, go to Guam to perform for the troops that are over there for some reason. Do we know why there are troops in Guam in the fifties? Isn't is Guam a, an American territory? It is. Yes. Oh, okay, that would explain it. So they're ba- they're basically to provide general security and uh, what's the word? Manifest destiny or something. Well, if it's the fifties, it's probably has something to do with the uh, Korean War. Oh, right. Might have been the sixties. Um, again, you can't just nod. You have to say yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Right, Kit? Uh, this is episode seven, guys. Like, come on. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Kit. Um, and so the, the storyline behind Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla is that Martin and Lewis, or sorry, uh, Mitchell and Pertorello, Pertrillo are on their way to perform. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really roll off the tongue <laughs> no, like Martin and Lewis does it. No, it doesn't. Not at all. <laughs> I think that might also be the su- secret success of Martin and Lewis is that they... <laughs> The microphone yeah, wants to catch talk to names. the elusive third uh, or fourth guest host. Um, so they're heading to Guam to perform for the troops. They land on this um, uncharted island known as Cola Cola, where uh, Mitchell falls in love with Nona, a island girl. And uh, they go to seek help from a doctor whose name escapes me, who is, of course, played by Bella Lugosi. Bella Lugosi is incensed that Nona and Mitchell are in love, and he decides to turn Mitchell into a gorilla. Hence, Bela Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla. I don't know what happens in the rest of the film, because I've never seen it, but that is that. So, um, The Godfather happens in 1972. Duke Mitchell, who uh, grew up around the mafia in New York City and in Las Vegas later on, sees it and is incensed by its depiction of the mafia as being an honorable, romanticized um, entity that is essentially operating under a strict code of honor. Um, to him, the Mafia were scum, and he made a film to reflect that called Massacre Mafia Style, which was a hit in the Grindhouse theaters in uh, in New York City, and it went over to Italy where it actually performed very well and, and was, along with Death Wish and Dirty Harry, an inspiration for the um, atta- like the Eurocrime films of the 70s. Wasn't there a uh, restriction on using the word Mafia in films at the time? There... I can't remember if it was in the 70s or if it was in the 60s, but there was... I think it was the Godfather um, movie that led to that. The, they were right. forced to take that out of the script. Right, 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 because, it, yeah, 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 because... Um, the Italian um, Anti-Defamation League actually run by a mafioso, exactly. um, Joe Colombo. <laughs> by the way, Joe Colombo, <laughs> the most American Italian name ever. I'm a Joe Colombo. <laughs> I eat the, the pasta. He oh. actually got shot down at a uh, rally for the American anti-defamation, uh, uh, Italian-American Italian anti-defamation. Um, yeah, or as I like to call it, I'd. <laughs> I-A-A-D. Um, oh, wait. No. I-A-D. I-A-D. I like that. Um, 
I didn't know Joe Colombo. Like, yeah, but that would that would make sense because Francis Ford Coppola got the job to do The Godfather mostly because he was Italian American. Because he had only made uh, the films before then he had made was Finian's Rainbow, uh, The Rain People, and Dementia Thirteen, and a bunch of uh, porn films that he was uncredited for, or sexploitation. They weren't porn because it was before uh, before pornography was legalized. They were some sexploitation films, which from the reviewers who have seen them said they are neither sexy nor really films. Um, <laughs> so not very good. Um, and after he did Masker Mafia style, he, uh, Duke Mitchell, oh, actually, yeah, because the original title of this movie, he wanted to be Masker Mafia style, but it actually got renamed The Executioner. Um, and not to be confused with the 1980, uh, put the in your face. Not to be confused with the 1980 Executioner movie, right? You mean part two? Yes. Oh, The Exterminator. Mm-hmm. The Exterminator is what you're referring to. Because there's The Executioner yes. part two, which I have here on both VHS and DVD. Excuse me. Um, my Sorry, brother, guys, I'm, I'm, t- I'm talking a lot. Do you guys have anything to add? Uh, I, I think I lost my train of thought here. Um, mm-hmm. So Duke Mitchell did not make The Executioner, which is similar to The Exterminator. Yeah, it all gets a bit confusing, because there was also an Italian film released over here under the name of The Executioner as well, which led to that they allege is the inspiration for The Executioner Part 2, which is the knockoff of a, The Exterminator. Oh, my God. It gets a bit confusing, doesn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yep. Confusing. I, I. It's nice that you can um, keep track of Rationalize everything? Yes. Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse for me. <laughs> um, and I'm also operating... It's even worse than the zombie... Uh, zombie 3? The zombie uh, franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. If you can call it a franchise. It's not... It's just a... It's just a desperate... A uh, bunch of films that have all been lumped together, unfortunately. <laughs> I want to pour out some of this beer on the ground for uh, for all the filmmakers that worked on the non-franchise for the, of the zombie. Lucio Fulci, Bruno Mattai. I'm sure there's a bunch of other guys. Um, but You might lose your job if you... Uh, pour some beer on the floor? Yeah. Oh, Just right, because we're in a video, video store. store yeah, yeah, not my apartment. Or an abandoned video store in 2017. Although how? Wait, wait, no. Video, video never closes. It'll VHS will never die. This is this is every version of Graham saying that. Get it together, nineteen ninety three Graham. I had a, a very rattling week. <laughs> I worked a nineteen hour shift yesterday. Somehow at this video store that's only open from nine until ten. Um. So back to Massacre Mafia style. Or sorry, back to Duke Mitchell. After Massacre Mafia style, he he launched into another film called Gone with the Pope, which he self financed for very little money and. Uh, it just never was finished because he ran out of money. He also started suffering from cancer in, in the late 70s, which is when he was shooting this film, and he actually passed away in 1981. Um, and we were, like, the whole reason this movie exists is that um, Bob Mazeroski, the um, the guy behind uh, him and Sage Stallone, the son of Sylvester Stallone. The late The late Sage, Del- yeah, Sage Stallone, director of the awesome short film Vic, um, they found it and in... And co-star of Rocky V, Sage Stallone. Yeah, let's not talk about that. The less we can say about Rocky V, the better. Um, they found it in the in uh, an old garage that Duke Mitchell owned in boxes, and it was actually... The, the film print was in bad shape, but by that, but by the time they found it, um, film preservation, film restoration had gotten so much better, and it was really after... Because Bob Mas- Ma- Mazeroski was actually the 
editor of Army of Darkness of the, I think, yeah, the three Sam Raimi Spider-Man films and The Hurt Locker. And after he won the Academy Award for editing on The Hurt Locker, he actually put that money from that job and that notoriety into uh, restoring the two Duke Mitchell features, Mask of Mafia style and Gone with the Pope. Now, I'm not going to talk much about Gone with the Pope before we watch it because you guys you guys don't know anything about it, do you? Nothing at Did all. Did you do any research? No. No, of course not. I'm the one that does that. <laughs> no, I didn't. Thanks, Kit. Um, but we're going to watch it. So occasionally the focus is a bit wonky. And occasionally the camera operator, also the director of photography, also had to record sound himself, which back then was unheard of because sound was on reel to reels. What were you going to say, Kit? I, I was just trying to position the mic in between me and Phil. It keeps on wanting to slide to Phil. Well, I think there's a, a fourth... It's a haunted uh, microphone. <laughs> yeah, there is a ghost that wants to talk sitting next to Phil on a chair. Maybe it's future Graham there trying to like make a... I think he's been communicating with you some. I do hear voices in my head. Maybe future Graham is our ticket home. But how would you get home? Dun-dun-dun... Tune in right now because we're going to come back magically through editing after watching this. <laughs> so, this is Gone with the Pope. We'll be right back. Per ricordarti un amore, uno di tanti anni fa, la fisarmonica. Ma tu non piangere. Yeah, we're Hello. Hello. Well, I'm not talking to the microphone now. Am I talking to the microphone yes, now? Yes, you are. Okay. Good. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like screaming at you. I've got it. Thank you. Um, so that was okay. Gone with the Pope. Yes. So guys, thoughts? It was. Yes. So um, I've seen it before. You guys haven't. What are your initial thoughts on Gone with the Pope? Oh, Phil? wow. <laughs> it's something else. Um, it, at first, uh, you know, I was watching the first uh, half hour, so just like, this is uh, different from our usual death by video movies. This seems like a very serious movie, and um, as it progressed, um, it is not very serious. No, it's not very serious. I think it takes itself seriously, though. Yeah, it, it definitely. Well, I think Duke Mitchell was taking himself seriously. Um, other than like the obvious scene with the unfortunately, the her character's name is Fat Woman. We'll, we'll get back to that. We'll, we'll get we'll get to uh, that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or, or maybe we don't have to get back to that. I no, don't no, know. no. The the <laughs> amount of uncomfortableness Phil just showed means we're getting back to it. Yeah, I, I guess we do have to address. Yeah, it. yeah. It's, uh, so, it's so. Problematic. It's problematic so and weird. It's it's. Uh, we'll, again, we'll get back it. to it. Yeah, we'll, we'll save it. that gem. Yeah. So just just to do a light uh, plot recap, uh, Duke Mitchell plays uh, Paul, who is a friend, who is a good Samaritan that's been in jail for twenty years for something we don't know what, um, and he is friends with Luke and Michael and an old guy. Yeah, old guy. Old guy. And Peter's one of his friends as well. Yeah, yeah Peter. Yeah, it was Peter, Luke, and yeah, yeah, Luke is the old guy. Yeah. Peter is the. Um, I think he's just billed as old guy too. No, no, he's not. Is oh, he, he's the Pope lookalike, right? Yes, he's the Pope. In lookalike. the end credits, it was he's just old man old slash man, Pope. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so they're in jail, and there's a plot hatched where um, 
seven people need to die, and so they hire Duke Mitchell. Hired by the Chicago outfit. By the Chicago outfit. To, uh, in Los Angeles and and, and Las Vegas. And, and Vegas. Um. Mm-hmm. So Duke Mitchell takes this on where he meets uh, his good friend Giorgio. Yes, who, yeah, he's not very bright, it seems. Yeah, we love Giorgio, though. His performance is great. His, yeah, the, he's got like Luke Wilson hair. Uh. Yeah, and and his the the face on the photo on his tombstone is even better. Oh, it is priceless. Spoiler alert: Giorgio dies. Giorgio doesn't, but well, we don't see it though. That's the thing; he dies off camera. And, and it's just it's, an offhand comment. It's like, oh, your friend Giorgio's dead. Yeah. Yeah, and just the visit to the graves. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like just, in the, it's in the middle like of a love montage. Rose he checks a rose at him like, meh, we did it. <laughs> It's done. All right, done. It's part of a montage. It's part of a relatively romantic montage. Oh, uh, your friend Giorgio died. Uh, oh, that's a oh, shame. Oh no! Let's go look at his I grave. I guess we've got to visit him now. <laughs> he lightly toss. He like he flicks a. Ro- he doesn't even toss. He flicks the rose at him like he's flicking away. A, it's it's a, a like lit bouncing cigarette. off the tombstone. Like duh, there it goes, and then it's over. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Giorgio resembles a little bit Son of Sam, don't you guys think? David Berkowitz. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I know. I, I might have to do research. He's um, got a square, uh, square chin, and uh, yeah, squarish, squarish. Giorgio is more of a double chin, though, to be honest. Doesn't he? Or am I? Well, that's why I said squarish. Squarish, yes. Um, so <laughs> I don't know how we jumped ahead to Giorgio's death. The character that had like two seconds of on-screen time and killed three people in Las Vegas. Um, and um, it's an important. Uh, it is. It is. It is. It's. It. It kind of seeds uh, Duke Mitchell's character of um, Paul with the seed money to uh, to start his whole plot to be gone with the Pope. Um, a little bit. A little bit. He looks a little bit like David Berkowitz. So I guess Phil just looked up a photo of David Berkowitz on his smartphone, which you don't know what that is. Yeah, I don't know what that is. It's just a uh, rectangular black. Mirror for me, ooh, Black Mirror. That's that's actually what that re- references in the show. Um, oh, because I mentioned it, I can hashtag Black Mirror when I post this. We're gonna get so many more listens. Well, that's a much more popular show than our podcast. Black Mirror. I mean, you're killing me, Kit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a realist. I mean, you're my God, we me. don't have Black Mirror numbers yet, Graham. I like the yet. Um, so uh, so so they're in jail. They get out of jail. Then we meet Duke Mitchell's um, love of his life, uh, Jean or Joanne or something. Jean. Jean. I wrote it down. Oh, thanks. Um, and apparently she loved him before he went to jail. They have a dog named Hamlet. Yep, I noticed. Remember that a Great Dane as well. Mm. Yes, uh, a very impressive Great Dane, as Great mm. Danes are. And uh, another Great Dane was Scooby Doo, which was made by Hanna Barbera Studios, who also did the Flintstones. And fun fact. Duke Mitchell was the singing voice of Fred Flintstone in the 60s. Whenever he has to sing, it's Duke Mitchell singing. And we do hear Duke Mitchell singing a lot through this uh, through this film. He has a lovely singing voice. He so is. I'm he's not good. Being facetious. No, no, no. He, he, he was a legitimate... He, like, has, he has good range, and there's uh, quite a range of uh, songs. Uh, <laughs> the, the microphone just quite <laughs> ranged away from your face. Our microphone is haunted. Yeah, it, it tends to move on its own. But no, he he does have a good range, and he is legitimately a, a good singer. And I mean, that was his his uh, his sole source of income from like the '30s to the well until this movie was made. Um, we're getting to the to I guess the setup for the the Pope heist. Yeah, oh, but there heist. is a there's a moment where they take I, I don't know they take a moment to show 
some very casual and terrible racism. And I'm I'm not sure yeah. if it's supposed to be a commentary on the mafia and and their racism or whether it, I don't know. I definitely think it's well. Here's the thing. I don't want to. I don't want to give. I mean, Phil described Duke Mitchell as a mafia mafiaed up uh, Larry David. Um, and I he I I would say he looks like a stock character in any mafia mafioso film. He looks like a background. Stock he, he's character. like the seventh guy from the left in Goodfellas. Oh yeah, like he's like the. F- He's got like, the Frankie Carbona hair, and uh... yeah, and just that that even and we and Harry his... Cyburns, which was basically like the character, the mob character that Larry David played on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, which, definitely, uh, Duke Mitchell. I kind of so think resembles. I kind of think like uh, Larry David could play Duke Mitchell in an in a uh, autobiographical picture. At least the the uh, the last few years of his life. You got to write that picture first, Graham. Will there ever be a rainbow? Rainbow, rainbow, Where, rainbow. Will, will there ever be a rainbow? Yes, the Duke, the Duke Mitchell, Mitchell story. story. <laughs> it's amazing how one Robo Hop just kind of throws everything <laughs> off track. By the way, Great Lakes Brewery produces Robo Hop, which is a um, a fantastic um, ale uh, containing several different hops and herbs, um, and we enjoy it greatly. They're provided by Phil tonight. But uh, but back to the film. So Duke Mitchell gets out of jail. We're still at that point. He meets the love of his life, Janine. He decides, or Gene, sorry. Thank, thanks, kid. He was correcting me even before uh, he grabbed the microphone. And uh, he goes to Las Vegas to meet up with Giorgio, good old Giorgio, to plot this, um, this uh, simultaneous killing of seven people. Which has at least one great line. As, uh, yeah, it's a as, really good line. As, as Duke Mitchell, or as he's known, Paul. In the in the oh. film, that's his name. Um, one of the uh, the guys he's about to kill says, "Why me?" And Paul says, "Why not?" And that's the cue for the uh, the '70s folk rock song to kick in. There's a lot of great '70s folk rock in this. Yeah, there's at man. least there's two songs that are for '70s folk rock, which I believe are by his son Jeff Mitchell. Um, because when we watched the credits, it was like original music by Duke Mitchell and Jeff, or his Duke Mitchell's like actual birth name and Jeff Mitchell, who was his son. And actually, uh, on the uh, Blu-ray produced by Grindhouse Releasing, which I highly recommend picking up because all of their Blu-rays are just gorgeous and packed with so many bonus features. And I know it's 1993, and I don't know anything about that, but, you know. Um, so I would highly recommend picking it up because it's it's got so much great interviews. Um, Jeff Mitchell says that um, his father kept bugging him for more and more music because Duke Mitchell, owned, the music he owned was all crooning and uh what's a better title for like frank sinatra-esque songs like like lounge lizard yes lounge lizard but but not in a jazz way more in a uh italian folk i guess you could say kids shaking his head at me and giving me a huh i don't know i don't know what italian folk would be i think it's something very different than that like finicali finicola i don't know and I probably pronounced. I'm that here all week. Don't yeah. forget to tip your waiter. Yeah, yeah. I I apologize for for our butchered Italian uh, pronunciation because we're not, none of us are Italian. Uh, I think Phil is the closest being Polish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the banter that drives this podcast. Long story short, uh, Jeff Mitchell, uh, his father, uh, Duke Mitchell, the director and star of this film, kept asking him for. Uh, for music for the film, and at a certain point, Jeff said, "Hey, shouldn't I be getting paid for something like this?" And Duke Mitchell's response was, "I fed you every goddamn day of your life. That's your payment." 
I'm going to pay you an exposure. <laughs> oh, my God. So after committing these seven murders, he decides to take his friends on a cruise to Italy on his uh, lover's boat. Which is his, his friends that just got out of the, the, out of the, the clink, clink yes. the, the pen. I like how we both thought it was going to be the clink. <laughs> <laughs> but we see him talking to them at the start of the movie when he's getting out, and they're getting out a few months later, and he's like, hey, I'll look after your dog Yeah, I'll, t- you I'll take care of you. I'll go see your kids or whatever. Because that, that's the thing. Like He is introduced as a guy that... A uh, good Samaritan. A ca- guy that cares about being a good Samaritan. Although, why he's in jail for 20 years, we never really find out. Although, his uh, gene does say that she fell in love with two men in her life. One who was addicted to violence and crime of the street, and another one who was a good man. Well, Paul murders enough people in this film that I'm assuming it's some yeah, sort yeah. of murder. She, she even says it's, it's not, he's not the good man. The good man provided the house and the money that she lives in, and the yacht that they, that they sail, these three untrained sailors sail all the way to Italy. Four, sorry, four. Well, they, they make multiple stopovers. Uh, yes, they stop a lot in Mexico, they stop in the Panama Canal, and then some well, Cape, uh, Cape it, Verde is the name of the I, I island mean, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. I guess Atlantic that's where Ocean. they refuel. Uh, yes, on the way to Italy. After and, some snarky comments, like, we're we supposed to refuel in the middle of the ocean? <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad... <laughs> that was, that was, that was an a horrible, excellent impression. Horrible impression. It really was. Um, yeah. Uh, also, one of them loses a necklace. Yes, a chain, as he calls it, that his mother gave him. But it comes back into play later on when he catches a codfish for the Pope. And inside of the codfish's belly is the chain that he lost in Newport that he then finds in the open Atlantic Ocean. And the Pope has this smug look on his face like, I knew that was going to happen. I called that. <laughs> I placed the call to my special friend, God, um, to make that happen. The Pope also says, like, I love codfish, and at being a Newfoundlander, that even though I'm not Catholic, that warms my heart that the Pope, at least the fake Pope of this movie, his favorite fish is cod. <laughs> um, but also, it's like you wouldn't catch cod in the uh, South Atlantic Ocean. Um, so the fact that he caught a codfish is already pretty much a miracle, and the fact that it contained his mother's gold chain is the icing on the cake. There is a God. It's it's a strange scene when he loses the necklace though. I still haven't quite figured very, it out. It's very forced. It's it's because it's, he's the mm-hmm. he's uh, the guy wearing the necklace. I think it's uh, Pete Peter Peter. He's just Peter drunk. the fisherman, Saint Peter. Um, and Duke Mitchell is like playing around Duke, with his necklace. And just he just kind of like grabs them, takes off his necklace, and tosses it away. And no reason is ever given for that. No, other than hey, I just wanted to mess around with your necklace. Um, and he throws it in, it falls into the ocean, and, like, they actually shot coverage of this thing, like, sliding down the side of the boat, hitting another platform, sliding along that, going into a drain, and then dropping into the water. It was, like, a, like the actual effort that went into shooting that coverage of the chain falling into the water was more than uh, Duke Mitchell's entire prison uh, sequence of events, which is, by the way, totally out of focus. Like, that. that's... The, the first part of this film is pretty much out of focus. Yeah, it, it's a lot of squinting, and your eyes are trying to focus on something, but they can't. The uh, The cinematographer if actually... I to- if I took mm-hmm. off my glasses, it would be in focus. Did you try that? I should have. Yeah, that would have been awesome. Phil wears glasses, by the way. Fun fact. Yes. Neither Kit knew I, nor I do, although... I should, actually. I do need I, I need... I need glasses for driving, but... I never end up driving these days. Yeah, I also should get my eyes checked because every now and then I'm just like, oh, that's that person. No, it's not. Or, oh, 
someone says out, hey, Graham, and I'm like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> so, by the way, to all 11 of you that listen to our podcast so far. About, we love you. We do. Please, please follow us on Facebook or comment on us on Facebook because we need feedback of some sort. We're trying to make the podcast better, better, better. <laughs> we are trying to make the podcast better, but we're also going for better. Yeah, we are mostly going for better in terms of the podcast. So please comment on Facebook because we are trying to make the podcast better. And uh, <laughs> Good enunciation. There's only one way to make it better, and that is with your feedback. Um. So they actually make it to Italy, and then they ask, like, hey, so what are we doing in Italy? And Paul explains, well, we're going to kidnap the Pope and charge the a ransom of $1 for every Catholic on Earth. And then someone quickly shouts out, hey, that's $850 million. And Paul's like, oh, I didn't realize it was that much. So only <laughs> half a dollar. I love how one of them just knew how many Catholics there were worldwide and just, like, offhand. He probably read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica on that boat ride because they just, yeah. And there's some conversation, like, what about the uh, the Chinese Catholics? Oh, yeah, I guess there's there's a lot of us. They said maybe both- you just comb through uh, international censuses and... Uh- yeah, that, that book contained all the international census from like 1900 to 1976 when the film was made, and the Encyclopedia Britannica. He's thorough. Very. <laughs> Anyhow. Anyhow. So they actually realize that the old man in their crew looks a lot like the Pope, and some would say as in exactly like the Pope because it's played by the same actor. So they do a switcheroo where um, Paul... St- goes in wearing a very very fake mustache and brandishes a gun shows the pope the gun hold on graham what am i holding on for we skipped over the fat woman scene yep (laughs) (laughs) that happened there is a uh so 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 one of the characters it's peter actually he he's been in jail for like 30 years or something he he complains about not getting laid quite a bit and uh early on in the film they they pick up a uh, african-american prostitute who um this is where the casual racism comes in yeah paul there's a lot is very racist towards her but in the end they kind of get along they do but in a in a very gross gross horrible way. way yeah so anyways, um, Peter is constantly complaining about his lack of action with the ladies. And um, in Rome especially, he's complaining to Paul that like, hey, you can't, you know, hook me up. Paul says, what am I, a pimp? Obviously not. And so Paul, while out enjoying a bench in a very... <laughs> <laughs> he was sitting on a bench doing nothing. He's out enjoying a bench. That's accurate. <laughs> when Paul was out enjoying a bench in a very palm tree heavy section of uh rome southern rome southern rome east rome um (laughs) he notices there's a woman of a particular size uh entering his field of vision and for some reason assumes hey this lady might want to come with me and hang out with me and my friends in our underwear take it away phil so yeah there's um you don't hear any of the dialogue because it's drowned out with music yeah so um he manages to talk her into um, coming over to his place. Um, Where his friend Peter is sleeping. And uh, she undresses and crawls into bed and wakes Peter up. She crawls on top of Peter and Peter nearly smothers. By the way, well, by like we're, we're 
calling this woman the fat woman, that's not our term for her. That is her actual credit in the feature film. Quotation marks. Yep. Fat woman, yes. Um, and she is about, from my visual estimation, just south of 400 pounds probably. Yeah, something like that. Yep. Um, Everything so, about the scene is grotesque, and yeah. I don't mean in the sense that she's a grotesque. I no, mean that it, it's grotesque the, in its entire presentation. The presentation is grotesque. The uh, idea behind it is grotesque. Everything is grotesque. Yeah, and uh, it made all of us very uncomfortable, <laughs> very very uncomfortable. And, and there's absolutely no reason for it to be no, in the film. It just it just sort of comes out of nowhere, and then no, yeah, ends. it's it's there, and like it has nothing to do with the rest of the film. And they never even mentioned it. Like, remember when we were in Rome and you tried to hook me up with that overweight woman? Yeah, it doesn't character build. It doesn't do anything. Not at all. But it's in the film. And the thing is, when when they released this film in 2010, they actually went back and like tightened up scenes and cut stuff down. Not this. Not it this scene. It could have been cut. To it be is, honest, it, it's gratuitous in all senses of the word. It's gratuitous and, to be honest, quite worthless. So then they actually sneak in. They kidnap the Pope. They take the Pope on the boat, and then they hightail it back to uh, America. However, on the boat, both Peter and Paul. Oh, not Peter and Paul. Peter and Luke. Peter and Luke. Peter and Luke, yes. Start talking to the Pope, and the Pope like actually starts giving them some good advice. The Pope is awesome yeah. on the uh, on the ship. He's all like, hey, I hope uh, while you're wearing that uh, vest, you know what? I'm going to pray for you and make sure you don't drown. Yeah. Yeah, he's a super cash Pope. and uh... <laughs> Super cash Pope is perfect. Yeah. he's I, Well, he's the idealized uh, fictional Pope. And then when he goes to try that stuff with Paul, Paul has none of it. And Paul delivers this amazing monologue talking about, like, well, where were you when the Jews were getting killed in World War II? Yeah, he's you all know, about you're, the Jews. Yeah. And, but also talking about how um, religion exploits, uh, like, poor people all over the world. And he says, like, in Mexico, their people got nothing, but then they give away their money to the Catholic Church. And in Italy, they teach boys to, like, fight each other, fight other boys for pennies to give to you. And, and he talks about how the Pope during World War II did nothing, nothing to save that, yeah. the Jews, even though he was in a position to do so. And and he's not wrong. Exactly. It was a very impassioned speech. And he also kind of like um, addresses the racism that he had earlier, where he says, like, when you give mass, how many black faces do you see in that church? Probably none. And this is our one indication that Duke Mitchell is not actually racist. Yeah. But who knows? See, see, here's the thing is that like with all of these films that we watch and this one especially, it seems like there's two levels at play. There are certain people that are self-aware, and there are certain people that are just delusional. And in this one movie, it's the same person, and that's the this interesting push-pull because the movie is is at times very serious, at times very laughable, and at times just uh, ludicrous. Just ludicrous. And in this situation, like if you took this scene isolated on its own, it would seem like it's not from this movie at all. And the thing we should point out as well is that the whole "Gone with the Pope." plotline resolves itself 20 minutes before the movie ends and there's an entire another act of the film where duke mitchell goes back that's when we find out that giorgio died uh he goes back to to gene, to gene yeah. and their dog hamlet and he kills a bunch of people he does and i think that's it's never really explicitly stated but i assume it's because he just goes back to no, the no no no, oh. no I, I i assume it's because giorgio was murdered and this is him getting revenge because i think oh. those actors were earlier on the the mobsters that hired because the reason why he enlists Giorgio is to have murders committed at the same time in both Las Vegas and Los Angeles so that the Chicago outfit has no idea how he's done it or if he's actually done it. You are picking up on subtext that I was not aware of. This is also the second time I've watched this film, which helps a lot in figuring out its very, very nonsensical plot. 
at any rate, he he comes back, he hangs out with Gene, and he murders a bunch of people, and it's yeah. like he's gone back to his old life. Yeah, I was trying to figure out why it was that um, the he was sh- murdering people. No, because it was set to a really awesome '70s folk rock song. Yeah, no, it was just like, why does he? I, I is he just being lazy? And that's why he hired Giorgio. No, no, no. It was because it was so that he could wipe them all out at the same time, and therefore the Chicago outfit. Which, because he even mentioned, he's like the Chicago outfit. As soon as like he starts killing off some of them, he's going to be a target. So if he kills, so if both groups die at the same time, then they have no way of knowing, like if it was actually him or how it happened. Ah, or maybe he's got some more muscle they don't know about. It's insurance. He does have a uh, an impassioned Duke Mitchell does an impassioned speech when um, Luke and Peter are saying we're no longer going along with this plan. We're going to take the Pope back to the Vatican and screw you. Duke Mitchell has a very impassioned speech about I killed seven guys for you. Seven. Then yep. he repeats it again. Seven guys I killed. Well, I think that It's his Oscar moment scene. It is. He actually has tears coming down it's his cheeks. It's actually a really good it's it's okay. If you ignore the three other actors in that scene and just focus on him. <laughs> the acting overall is very bad in yep. this film. Um the the modern editor who uh, who tackled it even mentioned that a lot of the times for the other actors it was one line per take because they couldn't remember their lines and weren't good at performing it. So they had to like literally be like, okay, here's what you're going to say. And then roll camera, record it, stop. Here's the next line of dialogue, say it, cut. So it made actually editing incredibly difficult. Even in the um, the year of 2009 when they did mo- the bulk of editing of like making this film work. Yeah, so um, Peter and Luke revolt against Paul and side with the Pope, and they go off in a dinghy, and uh, after... Duke Mitchell has killed the uh, the assassins of Giorgio back in the USA. He and his uh, his lady Jean retire for Christmas to her uh, Swiss. I want to say Swiss chalet, but it's not. It's a uh, it's a it's a cottage uh, close to a mountain with snow in in California. So I'm guessing around Sacramento. Maybe I'm wrong. San Bernardino, maybe. San Bernardino. Um, so he heads there and. Um, he gets the urge to go light a candle after he watches a news report that says that they made it back to Rome fine and actually part of the um, the ransom has actually been paid like collected and they're actually going to donate it to handicapped children although they use the very uh, very out of turn out of what's the, what's the phrase I'm looking for guys out, out of, of date out of date there we go I was going to say out of time out of date um, uh, description of something else it rhymes with rippled Children. Oh, they call them crippled children. Yes, that's right. See, I'm trying to keep this podcast classy, and you guys are just trying to. Well, I'm I'm just going for accuracy here. Mm-hmm. That's that's what they called them. And and I worried actually when hearing this that parents would actually cripple their children, hoping to, to get, get some money. Of this money. Yeah, that's the unfortunate. There there are a lot of plot holes in this movie. That's definitely one of them. Um, so it ends along with up... casual racism. There's casual ableism. Casual ableism. I like it. <laughs> It's very, it's not very body positive to be honest. No. No. No, to put it lightly. <laughs> no. Um and so at the end he decides to go light a candle for the pope and he goes to a church, lights this giant table candle amongst all these tiny catholic candles. Um and then the candles start going out, coming on, uh some light shines, the uh virgin mary's eyes glow yellow. Yes. In a very awesome moment. Very scary. And then he runs through the church as lights are flicking on and off. It slows down. 
zoom in on his face, cut to black. I, I liked his his face is kind of nonplussed during all of this. He's like, well, what's going on? Huh, I don't know. He's seen it all, Kit. <laughs> he was in jail for 24 years. He sailed the ocean seas by himself. And then he uh, kidnapped the Pope and then let the Pope go and then came home and then killed a bunch of guys and then went to church. So, guys, thoughts on Gone with the Pope? Uh, Phil, you you said that some of the shots had a very Cassavetes feel. I mean, that's that's definitely um, partially due to the fact that it was so low budget and so under crude. But what what are your thoughts on the film, Phil? Uh I I enjoyed it with reservations. Uh, yeah, I think I think we all did to a degree. Yeah. There's there's some things to like here. To be honest with you. Like on a beyond liking something that wasn't in like in a different way than it was initially intended, because no, the music think, is good, the montage. And the, I think I think the, he he hit some of the things that he was intending to hit, but there's there's more misses than there are hits. There's way agreed, more agreed, misses. agreed, agreed, agreed. Some of the style, like it it comes through, and I yeah. think he was trying to achieve that style. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's it's one of those films where it's like, because when it started, both Phil and Kit said, oh, this is way more serious than the normal fare that we watch. And I said, just wait for it. Um, and it's one of those things where, again, Bill, uh, Duke Mitchell was uh, limited by his budget to a large degree. I mean, the thing is, this film sat in a parking garage for 25 years before it was released. Um, they had a working print, and that was about it, like a work print edit, which was unfinished in and of itself. And... Like we said, a lot of the some of the early scenes are very out of focus, and it literally comes down to they didn't have the budget to have a camera assistant pull focus and make make marks. And at a certain point, the cinematographer is interviewed on the on the Blu-ray, and he even says like, at a certain point, I had to also record sound as well as be the cinematographer. And in those days, shooting thirty-five millimeter, those were not small cameras; those were very complicated. And it was a lot more difficult to work with. And also the audio recording gear was a lot more difficult. Like, if he had what we have today, he could possibly do it. And I just pointed out my feet, which is where our audio recorder is. But back then, you're dealing with an actual analog, um, probably magnetic tape stock uh, that he's recording to. And you mentioned um, he filmed a lot of this almost guerrilla style, like without permits. Almost entirely without permits, which is impressive considering they shot on an airplane, they shot in Las Vegas, they shot inside casinos in Las Vegas, which has for a long time been a no-go for many film productions. They did go to Rome, at least. Yes, they did go to Rome. At least Duke Mitchell and a cameraman went to Rome. The rest we don't know, probably not considering there's palm trees in a lot of other scenes. And, you know, Duke Mitchell does enjoy a very American bench. I'm guessing those were. I, I'm guessing those were the Los Angeles scenes. What's an American bench? I'm you know, just it's, it's the kind with the stone with like the three, like the uh, the green planks that go through it. I think they're two by fours. Like there's like three in the back and like. You don't find those in Rome. I've never been. I would assume not. I would assume that they like sit on stone pillars of some kind. Okay. I realize that sentence doesn't make any sense, but it's. <laughs> It's late and it, I am It was tired. a pretty popular look here as well. Um, agreed, agreed. I remember it in Newfoundland even. It was a cheap... But I think that was more North American, but the palm trees were definitely... Yeah, that USA. wasn't Rome. Um, so final thoughts on Gone with the Pope? I'm glad I watched it. I don't have much to say about it, I guess. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I don't know. I... I don't have much thoughts on Gone with the Pope, but I would recommend it to some people. I definitely would. I definitely would recommend it because the thing about it that we we get with these lower budget films is it's a slice. A very limited audience. Yes, a very limited. Agreed. Audience, agreed. But. I would say it's a slice of 
Because there's certain things you can't justify or even explain, like the the racism towards the escort that they pick up at the early start of the film. It's it's pretty ugly. It's very ugly too, but then he turns around and like does the whole like you don't see a black face and mask comment, and then and also Which, yeah. yeah, I mean it doesn't necessarily make up for anything. But. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But it but it creates a weird counterpoint. Um, it, it creates the illusion of depth to the character at least. Mm-hmm. Or I well, what I think that shows is it's actually the the depth of Duke Mitchell because, again, there was actually no script for this either. Like one of the actors was interviewed on the uh, on the Blu-ray and he said basically like, "Well, what are we doing?" And then Duke Mitchell would essentially like read out or like say to him what he wanted him to say, and that was that. Well, I'm wondering like the 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 racism. I'm wondering if that was indeed a commentary on um, kind of the mafioso. Every like mafioso type film or The Sopranos or anything like that, all of them seem to make a point of being like, yeah, these Italian guys are pretty racist. I I would I think I think I agree with you because it's so like it's only that one specific moment of the film and it's so intense and crazy and casual. Yeah, it's like making a point of there's it's, a it's lot like, of racism here. Yeah, and he's doing it even to her face. Like that's the thing too. It's like oh, yeah. and she just kind of laughs it all off like like oh I've heard it all before. By the way, there's another expression said to he's someone's face. He's as much racism as he can into one scene. Exactly. It's just so bizarre. But then he also at a certain point <laughs> says um He's speaking Italian with the Pope, and the Pope says, oh, you speak Italian, and he's like, looks right in the Pope's face and goes like, is the Pope Catholic? It is a good line. It, it's a good line and a good placement. And it's was, a knee slapper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it definitely, like, was so, like, amazingly, like, just right in this Pope's face, like, is are you Catholic? Of course you are. Oh, I thought you were going to say something, Phil. Um, no, that's all. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I'd recommend it because it's also a slice of... of filmmaking that you just don't see anymore like it's you know at that time you, you could make a feature film with just some 35 millimeter film stock and a bunch of italian american stereotypes and a loose plot regarding a pope did you have anything to add kit i was just looking at my notes but there's not a lot here i, I mentioned that it starts with a parable from genesis it starts with some yeah. passages from genesis but about how God created the earth, blah blah blah. Second See, day, I get third the, day. I get the, I get the idea that Duke Mitchell. Not sure why they included that bit because it doesn't really play into the rest of the film. Well, uh, well, I think Duke Mitchell, like a lot of Catholics, and I, I can't, I can't speak for Catholics because I'm not one, but I think that Duke Mitchell, like a lot of Catholics, um, struggle with their faith in, to a degree, and I think that this film kind of hints at that, but also misses. Like it's one of those things where it's like. It's it's a theme that it wanted to tackle, but it could, but just the the film. Martin Scorsese's still tackling it. Exactly. Yeah. Like I think it's it's a it's a it theme. definitely sides with the Pope. The film. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. He gets his comeuppance at the end, he, but not really though. Who Duke Mitchell? Yeah. When when the candles flicker on and off, we don't know if he gets a comeuppance his, or he just his gets a soul message. is doomed. Is what that message is. Okay. But is it doomed because he kidnapped the Pope, or is it doomed because he killed, like, a dozen people? Both. All of the above, I'd say. Okay. That's, that's my reading of it. Yeah, I, this is a film where, like, I really don't have a strong There's grasp There's a lot of, of ambiguity here. Yeah. yeah, very much so. I don't have a strong grasp or even a really strong opinion of, like, what I think happened at the end, because the ending is very oblique and Although, vague. Yeah, the wrestling that you said, like... Again, what he was uh, talking about with the Pope about uh, how the Jews were not saved and all of this, and mm-hmm. 
and uh, how they kind of exploit poor people um, and take their money willingly. He's not wrong about that stuff. No, Those no. are genuine criticisms of the uh, of the Catholic Church, and, where, and where and they're in luxury. They're like the the Vatican is luxury. They've got gold, mm-hmm. everything. And he even points out that like you live in luxury while while you're your uh, uh, patrons. I don't know what, what are they. Well, well, fellow, your your fellow Catholics, you know, starve. Um, so there is, it, it's a weird film because at a certain point you can't take it seriously, but at other points it definitely has serious points and moments. And I even think when Duke Mitchell goes on that long rant to the Pope, I think that's more Duke Mitchell than the character of Paul talking. Would it's, you guys agree? It's some of the best acting in the film, so I would say yes. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what I uh, when we started the film, I sort of said like Duke Mitchell for the most part isn't the best actor, but when he speaks from the heart, it actually gets real and gets good. Even when he's not good, he's way better than everybody else in the film. That's true. Everybody else in the film just kind of like says words, but without any context. What, one of the one of the chaps that he kills in Las Vegas, the sunglass wearing guy, is mm-hmm. is pretty. Oh, good. he was so good. He was so good oh. at. He was so bad at delivering his lines that it made us all laugh. But, but the timing was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I don't give a shit. <laughs> oh, food's here. Fuck Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. I also like. I also really like the opening scene with the uh, the Chicago outfit. Oh, the Chicago outfit hanging out by a pool where they're talking. Yeah, and, and he's um, one of the dudes is mouthing because he you know they he know they're, he, being, they think they're sort of, being watched by the they're FBI being watched or something. By the FBI, so uh, he actually yeah breaks fourth wall, turns to the camera, and mouths, "Fuck you." Yeah, uh, <laughs> but like but the way that scene plays out, I I was saying while we were watching it um these don't seem like actors these seem like actual uh career criminals i yes. kind of think i kind of think they were to be honest because i mean duke mitchell again it, being in there that, was a certain that era 40s and 50s authenticity like to yeah it. in that 40s and 50s at like era when he was a crooner and even into the 60s and 70s he definitely encountered that i mean that his whole purpose for becoming a filmmaker was to counter point the godfather which I definitely think we saw with this movie, because these guys, despite the fact they had wealth and were somewhat opulent, were definitely a little bit more on the white trash side. Again, and um, last podcast, I, I made some pretty drunken, really stupid asinine um, uh, comparisons of Godfather Part Two to, to the film we were watching, Tough Turf, <laughs> which was not necessary. I'm, I'm sorry, folks. I was a bit too drunk. But... Um, <clears throat> I would argue that we're not that, super drunk when we make these podcasts. We're just no, we're a little too like I some, was unusually drunk last. Yeah, week, yeah, I was. I, un- I do apologize. Yeah, yeah, like I was quite stone stone cold sober on that one. But uh, I would argue that Godfather Two and and Godfather One do make a point that these people are not good people. I agree. Well, I mean, that, that's the whole point of Godfather Two is that I think it was almost a reaction to Godfather One, where everyone kind of like, oh, it's romantic and blah blah blah. And whereas in The Godfather Part Two, you see Michael actually ordering the assassination of Fredo. Who tried to kill him, to be fair, but yes. Yes, yes. But also, the, and that's another point, is that Fredo tries to kill Michael. But he did promise that he wouldn't kill Fredo, and then he did. Exactly. Exactly. Intentionality is irrelevant. Mm. <laughs> so, I'm going to wrap this up, because it's late and I'm tired. And I gotta get. And gotta, it's 1993. I know, and I gotta, I gotta sweep and vacuum these floors before you guys go. Are you guys leaving this this week, or are you staying around again? We can't figure out how to get home, Graham. 
Okay, I'm okay, okay, on it okay, and okay. I'm yielding nothing. It, at least, could you guys give yourselves a a um a sponge bath in in the back room <laughs> by the uh, next to the next to the employee washroom? We have a cleaning station. It's got a little don't don't use the Javex, obviously. But it def- there's like a good floor cleaner there. And I some saw Windex. some spare uniforms there. Can we borrow those? If you have to. If you have to. But it, you know what? For my own sake and for the customer's sake. Because again, everybody thinks some raccoon died in the walls. And it's you guys stinking up the joint. Oh, by the way, there is also a raccoon dead in the walls. <sighs> now you told me I have to go in and get it. <laughs> um, so with that being said... Uh, I'm going to lock up the doors to the best of the best video. Please rewind. Oh, by the way, next week, the movie we're going to be watching is... Do you guys have any guess what we're going to watch next week? Cannibal Ferox? No. It's something before 1993, I'm assuming. Yes. What did both of you guys do this year? Started a podcast. Besides that. <laughs> you both completed some education... Oh, are we going back to school with Rodney Dangerfield? No. Oh, damn it. <laughs> you both completed or graduated from your post-secondary programs. I haven't graduated yet. For the purpose of this podcast, you have. So we're going to watch a film about graduation. Porky's 2? No. This is going to be called Graduation Day? Yes. We're going to be watching Graduation Day, which features a fantastic song by the band called Felony. And the song is called, connected to this movie, Gangster Rock. What? There was a song called Gangster Rock in the movie Graduation Day by the band Felony. That's fantastic. Yeah. And it's really, it's a really good song, too. All right, then. So, until next week, please rewind, and we'll see you on death by oh i can't say that because i'm not a part of that podcast yet it's death by video follow us on facebook on death by video podcast follow us on instagram at death by video podcast follow us on soundcloud at death by video um i'm graham i am kit and i'm phil thank you and good night Ooh.